We are in part two of a series on covenant. It's a rather uh, daunting task to bring such a large concept, which uh, the whole of Bible is all about, and boil it down for us. And I struggled over it for months trying to uh, prepare for this, as I mentioned last week. Uh, so to make it simpler for me, I simplified the the whole series to four, so after today we will be halfway through already. Uh, but uh, if you missed last week because of holiday weekend or you just happened not to be here, last week was uh, Our Covenant God is all about relationship. And we handed out a handout after the message, which uh, I encourage you to read through. So if you missed that, you can grab that on your way out today. Now, uh, I've been taking myself a little too seriously uh, for probably over a year now as we're busy rebuilding uh, all the systems of our church. And uh, that became obvious as God kind of uh, made it obvious to me. Uh, here's, I don't normally give you a sneak peek in behind the scenes and how things come down for me, but I'm going to give you a little sneak peek today. So I enjoyed my Memorial Day off, as many of you did, and Tuesday morning was uh, uh, the start of the home stretch for today's message, and I have a habit of, in the morning, going out when I can on a prayer walk, and in that prayer walk out in the desert, um, I just praying, and I usually pray out loud, and uh, then a phrase came, and it's not even... I thought it was a quote from Scripture, but it wasn't even a quote from Scripture. It just kind of came out. Laughter is good medicine. I think the scriptural direct quote is uh, more about a cheerful heart as opposed to laughter is good medicine. And then I started uh, kind of dealing with God on that because I realized uh, I've been a little bit too serious, uh, working a little too hard, taking too much responsibility on myself. And here I am preparing a message about grace and responsibility. And so uh, between me and the Lord, it kind of was obvious that I needed to get back to the joy of life a little bit and even bring that out in our messages. And so I thought, well, I better take a look at my message when I got to the office. And I got to the office to look for all the joy there. And I just thought, oh, wow. There's just not a lot of joy in this message that I'm bringing. So I had to rework this message to try to bring some joy into the message. And so um, this is not an apology. This is like an explanation. Uh, the best I could do, I hate just bringing jokes that are, make us laugh that have nothing to do with the message. So this is a stretch. I, I'm, I'm hoping that you can make that stretch and somehow make it fit this idea of grace and responsibility. And I'm doing my part to be obedient to bring joy. So this is notes in the hospital charts probably written by some sleepy intern or some frazzled nurse. And when you string all these little clips of the notes there, this is what you get. Note, the patient refused autopsy. <laughs> Note, patient recovering from forehead cut. Patient became very angry when given an enema by mistake. Patient has chest pain if she lies on her left side for over a year. <laughs> Note, on the second day, the knee was better, and on the third day, it disappeared. 
Note, the patient has been depressed since she began seeing me in 1993. Note, she is numb from her toes down. Note, the skin was moist and dry. Note, occasional, constant, infrequent headaches. Note, I'm glad one of you over there is enjoying this. Patient was alert and unresponsive. Note, <laughs> rectal examination revealed a normal-sized thyroid. <laughs> she stated that she had been constipated for most of her life until she got a divorce. <laughs> Note, I saw your patient today who is still under our car for physical therapy. <laughs> Note, skin. Somewhat pale, but present. (laughs) Note, patient has two teenage children, but no other abnormalities. (laughs) I hope you enjoyed that. I'm just trying to be obedient. (laughs) Uh, Some people, to this day, uh, still think in terms of the Old Testament being a covenant of works, and the New Testament being a covenant of grace. I'm here to tell you that is not true. I'm here to tell you that both covenants, all covenants, are covenants of grace and responsibility. I want to define my terms a little bit before we keep going, and so on the screen is the first little bit that I've put together. Grace is receiving undeserved favor Responsibility is the expected response ability from someone who has received such undeserved grace. So I, I'm sorry, I'm just prone to wordplay and it actually helps me to think in terms of some of these wordplay to re- recognize that in these deep issues that we're diving into, we're diving into how is it that God's sovereignty fits together with human free will. And there's all kinds of uh, different opinions about how that fits together. So you're going to hear how I've kind of put this together under a covenant framework and how that fits for me. I won't be trying to explain where everybody else is coming from, but I see grace and responsibility as built into covenant, whether it's old covenant or new covenant, and I hope to bring that out. Now, no matter uh, how easy it may sound, uh, and hopefully I'll make it clear and easy and understandable, just recognize that what we're diving into is very much a mystery. How does God's sovereign will and our free will work together? And so hopefully uh, we'll keep that uh, miraculous and mysterious wonder of the new covenant uh, right before us today. But not even the old covenant was a merit-based system, like we're prone to misunderstand it to be. Sometimes grace and responsibility um, are both found right within a very tight Phrase, And so I'm using one of these phrases as an example to show grace and responsibility right within point number one. Point number one is this. Be strong 
in the grace. Be strong would be urging us to do our part and our responsibility, but it's showing us that we need to be strong in grace. That is a direct quote uh, from Paul to Timothy, and it's found in 2 Timothy 2.1. It reads this way. You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace, and I'm glad we finished the sentence, that is in Christ Jesus. You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So we have both grace and responsibility built into that. Now, what Paul is saying is is not this. It's the opposite of this. He's not saying, Timothy, do your very best in your own strength to carry out everything now that you've been saved. He's not saying it's all up to you now. Um, He's not saying, Timothy, in your strength, try harder. He's not saying that. He's saying that in the grace that Jesus brings you, as you depend on him, that is your responsibility to depend on him and apply your strength in dependence on him. Do you see that there's a mystery here? Jesus described this mystery in a couple weeks. I urged you to read and reread and read and reread, not reweed. <laughs> The text where Jesus says, I'm the vine and you are the branches, remain in me and let my words remain in you. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That whole mystery in covenant, how two become one and both are active even in fruit bearing. Okay, so there's grace and there is responsibility. If you didn't take any of the responsibility, you just wait for God to do it. And he then, the vine, Uh, makes it all happen as if you just are waiting there. So to get at this a little bit, I want to get at two unbiblical, incorrect um, attitudes. So the first attitude is a little bit like this. The Lord saved me by grace, and now the rest is up to me. That's a completely unbiblical attitude. It's too independently active. Okay, now hold that thought. It's too independently active. God forgave me. God washed me clean. Now I need to go do it. And it's all up to me to make this happen. Um, As if his part was forgiving me. Now my part is living it out and helping others to uh, make connection with the gospel as well. I want to go with more connectivity here. So let's go to the second uh, incorrect, unbiblical attitude. It goes a little bit like this. The Lord does it all. Um, I just need to sit back, relax, and maybe you've heard people say this, let go and let God. Now, whenever I hear that phrase, let go and let God, I'm going, huh? How, How do you do that? Let go and let God, because it's all about grace anyway, isn't it? And I'm saying, hmm, No, it's about grace and responsibility. It's this mystery of how two work together in this covenant pledge together, the two becoming one, and the life of Jesus, the vine flowing through me, the branch, so that fruit might be coming through all of that. So it's not um, too independently active, and it's not too dependently passive. It's this oxymoron of dependent responsibility. 
And in our culture, we don't think of responsibility as dependent. And we think of it more as, what we've got to do to be responsible. Uh, But in covenant with God, it comes together with his grace and our part in bringing that grace through our lives. So, God's grace expects a response. Every covenant expects a response. What God requires, he supplies. Pray and work hard. These go hand in hand. To neglect either side is to be too passive or too active independently. Pray and work hard. Grace is opposed to earning your salvation. It's opposed to merit-based thinking that I have to be this good to earn God's approval. Grace is completely opposed to that. But it is not opposed to effort. Make sure you understand that earning and effort are two separate concepts. Applying yourself to be responsible with the grace that you received is going to take effort. In fact, Paul says in Philippians 2, 12 and 13 to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And that what is it that we're working out? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling because it is God who is at work in you. So God who is at work in you in that grace that you receive is something that you then are working out in this mystery of how your human responsibility and God's grace are lived out in covenant where the two become one and live out this thing. So I hope to kind of bear that out a little bit today for us. Depending on God and serving God go hand in hand. Depending on God is the, is the receiving of grace side and serving God is applying the grace in a service that it's not just you're just gritting it out and trying harder and honoring God by, by your works. Every good work that comes from this covenant comes by grace through our lives. And so be strong in the grace. Point number two. All of God's covenants are covenants of grace. All of God's covenants are covenants of grace. Even the giving of the law in the old covenant was the covenant of grace. So let me ask you a question. Do any of you recall what God said just before he gave the Ten Commandments? So I want to remind you by putting it up on the screen. Exodus 20, 1 through 2, is right before the Ten Commandments are given. Here's what we read. Then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. That's grace. And he's about to give the terms of entering into a relationship with him. And those terms are a covenant of grace. We tend to look at the law as a system of works, and the Pharisees leaned towards the misunderstanding of earning and earning righteousness by obedience of the law, and so they looked down their noses at everybody around them that didn't earn the righteousness the way they did. Total misunderstanding, and they kept having conflict with Jesus, who correctly understands the law as a grace and not as a works to earn righteousness. In fact, if you think about the whole 
law system, it was a system that took into account the failure of the people and the expected failure of the people. The law was all about describing holiness and righteousness as opposed to unholiness and unrighteousness, and it helped as a tutor, the New Testament tells us, to lead us to understanding holiness and our need for grace. But it was true even in the Old Testament. Everybody, in trying to obey the law, would fail, and that's why the law came with a whole temple system and a sacrificial system, a system whereby they could come before God and have their failures forgiven. But it was in maintaining a relationship with a holy God grace that a temple system and the old covenant system was given. But it was a provisional covenant. It was leading towards a better covenant. It was a covenant that would disappear when the better covenant appeared. And it was leading up to a new covenant that was predicted and prophesied that this better covenant is coming. And yet, even in the old covenant, it was a uh, grace covenant. Put it simply, what did the Israelites do to deserve being God giving of himself and bringing his presence to them and doing all these miracles to give them the promised land which he had promised to Abraham. What did Abraham do to receive these promises? In fact, he kept bumbling and fumbling and God was gonna make his promises work. This is all grace. And while they're in bondage in Egypt, which was predicted, God is now bringing out his grace to give them a promised land and make them a nation. And now I'm making you a nation due to any merit on their part? No. He has brought them out and now he's going to give them his presence by his grace in an old covenant grace system which included their responsibility to live out that grace. Now when I say responsibility and it's not earning, make sure you understand that this is a gratitude-based responsibility. It's because of our gratitude to, to our gracious God that is holy and is with us that we live out a whole new system of living before him. And the old covenant was a system of living with a holy God and not being obliterated because of our unholiness. All of God's covenants are covenants of grace. Point number three, all of God's covenants expect human responsibility. Human responsibility is always implied by every covenant because every covenant, and you're going to hear more about this next week, defines the parties, it defines the terms, it defines the promises, and there's always uh, responsibilities expected when we're invited into covenant. Now, this is true even when this amazing new covenant comes our way, which was predicted in the Old Testament that we would have a new spirit put into, uh, be made, our spirits be made new, our spirits, by the God's spirit being put into us. This is a new grace, and it's amazing grace where the two literally merge, which didn't happen in that way, on an individual basis before. And so there's the mystery of this union. 
Now, this is a dramatic change from the Old Covenant. I'm going to share that dramatic change in a short passage that Paul gives us in Romans 8, which reads in verse 3, For what the law could not do since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering in order that the law's requirement would be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. Now I'm not going to do justice to that passage because to do justice to that passage I would need to take several messages to help explain all the terms. But the basic idea here is, because of our sinfulness, we could not live righteously with the law. All the law does is point out where we fail. And it acts as a tutor for us to lead us to our need, which is grace. And it acted as a tutor even for the Old Testament people to lead us to their need, which is grace, through a temple system. Well, the temple system was going to be replaced by a better system, by a person who is the temple, the very presence of God, who then was going to do something that was so extraordinary, he was going to allow his temple, which was in flesh, incarnated, fully God, fully man, and fulfill the law. He was the only man who could do it. Adam failed and made it so that all in Adam fail. The second Adam, Jesus, came and succeeded so that he made it so that all who enter into covenant with the second Adam can succeed. And because of his victorious crucifixion, he could do as he promised that I could go away, he says, and I can send the Holy Spirit to you. The same spirit who raised him from the dead is now going to embody or enter into your being. And the two can become one. And now, it's not going to be just by your flesh that you're trying to obey God's will. You will be empowered by God's Spirit. And so, everything changes. So, for what the law could not do since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. And we're going to learn about how one, the new covenant, supersedes the old And the old is even, in Hebrews, obsolete and set aside as we live in the new covenant according to the spirit and not according to the code and according to the letters, but now according to the spirit and empowerment by Jesus. Now, I want to read for you something that helps us kind of get at this. It's written by Ray Ortland, who's a preacher, and it was written by him in a blog in 2015. We were married to Mr. Law. He was a good man in his way, but he did not understand our weakness. He came home every evening and asked, so how was your day? Did you do what I told you to? Did you make the kids behave? Did you waste any time? Did you complete everything I put on your to-do list? So many demands and expectations, and hard as we tried, we couldn't be perfect. We could never satisfy him. We forgot things that were important to him. We let the children misbehave. We failed in other ways. It was a miserable marriage, because Mr. Law always pointed out our failings, and the worst of it was, he was always right. But his remedy was always the same. 
do better tomorrow. We didn't because we couldn't. Then Mr. Law died. And we remarried, this time to Mr. Grace. Our new husband, Jesus, comes home every evening and the house is a mess, the children are being naughty, dinner is burning on the stove, and we have even had other men in the house during the day. Still, he sweeps us into his arms and says, I love you, I chose you, I died for you, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And our hearts melt. We don't understand such love. We expect him to despise us and reject us and humiliate us, but he treats us so well. We are so glad to belong to him now and forever, and we long to be fully pleasing to him, which is a phrase right out of Colossians 1 at verse 10. Being married to Mr. Law never changed us, but being married to Mr. Grace is changing us deep within. And it shows. I want to jump into um, an example passage that he quoted from, fully pleasing to him, and, and catch a few verses before that in Colossians, just as an example of what it means to have a, a responsibility that by the Spirit of God, uh, merging with our human spirit, we not only want to respond, we are able to respond. Whereas before we were spiritually made alive, we got to a place where we didn't want to. Most of us have an innate digging our heels for some of the rightness of God's holiness. We still do. But as we draw near to God and draw near to grace, the Spirit, when we confess that, uh, floods our spirit, makes us alive, and gives us new desires where we want to please God. And not only do we want to, he helps us please God. So to understand this is like, do you recall as a child, maybe this is my experience because I have to go back to childhood to really recall where God's influence was still outside of my life. But in childhood, if you told me don't do such and so, I wanted to. Now, as a teen and as an adult, even with God in my life, that's still there. But there's also this other uh, presence of the Spirit saying, uh, you can't be happy there. When I would grieve the Spirit, I'd recognize that sadness is there and something's off. And most miserable people are Christians who are living opposite of what they know and not repenting. And so the Spirit is grieved in their life and they don't know why Christianity doesn't work. Well, you're not working it. If you're working Christianity, you confess. And as you confess your sin, the Spirit just immediately floods your spirit again, making you soft instead of hard before Him. And you want to please God again. And you want to choose that path that is pleasing again. And you see the stark difference. 
and the blinders are lifted, but you have to start with trusting what God says and confessing that what he says is true. The way you're looking at it is wrong. Colossians 1, 4 through 8. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have. You have already heard about this hope in the word of truth, the gospel, which is good news, the euangelion, that has come to you. It is bearing fruit and growing all over the world just as it has been has among you since the day you heard it and came to truly appreciate God's grace. You learned this from Epaphras, and he has told us about your love in the Spirit. That's like the main change. Love of God and love of people because you're so loved. Loved people love people. Hurt people hurt people. And when you're so loved by the grace of God, things shift inside and you begin to love people because you've been loved and you didn't deserve it. And out of that love that you didn't deserve, you start giving love that they don't deserve. You start to give as he gave and forgive as he forgave and bless so that you show how much you have been blessed. This is grace. And this is responsibility in the new covenant. That's what we're called to do. I mean, there's tons of really strong responsibility phrases, but the one that comes to mind is, if you want to be, be my disciple, you must deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. So there's a denial of those dangerous and selfish desires, the pathways that we tend to build habitually in our lives that are taking us astray and destroying us. We've got to let all those things go. Some of the things we've got to let go are good things that are getting in the way of better things, of following him and doing what he's calling us to do, to be a blessing to others. The worst sort of thing to do would be to just take in all the grace, take in all the grace, and it's all about you. And it never comes out of you and becomes a blessing. You're denying your Lord and King who has asked you to be a subject in his kingdom to help expand his kingdom. And you're living it all as if it's about your kingdom. It's all about you and making your kingdom brighter and better and nicer and I'm going to do whatever makes me happy. And Jesus said, you want to be my disciple? Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Now I'm here to tell you that grace makes you want to. If you take all that responsibility, heavy responsibility side, you're just going to try harder, try harder, but it never really works. This covenant works because it's grace and responsibility. Do you see it? God is all about grace and responsibility. You can't carry it out without him. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now, our purpose as a church is to help everybody take steps from wherever they are to where God wants them to be. I love that express purpose, but it's easily misunderstood 
but this is the prime time for helping us all to make sure we understand what taking steps looks like and what that means. Taking steps is always grace steps, which are also responsibility steps. If you get this wrong, you will think in terms of taking steps as if you're climbing and earning. No, 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 God forbid, no. We're in a covenant of grace and responsibility. And responsibility is a gratitude response to the God who saves us because of his amazing grace. So when we're taking steps from wherever we are, we're crying out by faith to the God who loves us so much he gave his son to die on the cross for us and bring us victory, completed victory. So we have the privilege of letting our old selves die with him on the cross. If you're busy trying to fix your brokenness without the grace of God, good luck. Because as you're trying to fix your brokenness, you'll become more broken. As you try to make yourself feel better, you'll be choosing all these different methods of self-medicating, self-fixing, and the brokenness becomes bigger and bigger and even addictive. Only by laying it to death with Jesus, by grace, Can you unite with him and be resurrected out of his burial into a resurrected life, out of your own burial of your old self into a resurrected life, taking steps with Jesus, with grace? And now you can live out this gratitude-filled, responsibility life where grace is flowing through you. You are blessed to be a blessing. There's no more beautiful way to live. Jesus offers you the best life we can live. He comes to give you life to the full. We have a thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy that is battling for our lives even if we've given our lives to Jesus. Always trying to pull us off center. Pull us off center. Go back to Jesus. Receive grace and live in that grace, and be strong in that grace, and work out that grace. It deserves every effort on your part to get the disciplines of grace to grow in your life so that you can live out the joy of what it looks like to follow Jesus and make a difference for those around you. So let me just challenge you with this question. What is your next step? Allow the Spirit of God to prompt that answer. And take a step by the grace of Jesus, but it's going to take some effort on your part that's active. And may you take steps this week in covenant with Jesus Christ. And if you've never entered into a commitment to Jesus Christ... Maybe this is the day. Come on up and let us know at the prayer team to the left of the stage. Maybe you've got other, other hurts, other brokenness that you need to reach out to Jesus to get that brokenness solved. Let us pray for you. Whatever the prayer need might be, we're, we'd be happy to bring the grace of Jesus in prayer your direction. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us grace and calling us to Uh, responsibly living in that grace, in covenant with you, in that mystery of life where you've given your spirit 
to join with our spirit and to live out the glory of the life of Jesus Christ. Help us to learn more about that in the next half of this series. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. See you next week.